Welcome to Piecemeal, a podcast hosted by the EMILY program where we put it all together for you. Piecemeal discusses topics related to eating disorders, body image issues, and how society may contribute to distorted thinking. I'm your host, Claire Holtz, and on today's episode, we are discussing all things nutrition. To cover this topic, I am joined by Bailey Wyrens. Bailey is a registered dietitian who works at the EMILY program's Anna Weston House, and she's also an advocate for healthy food and body relationships with an anti-diet approach. Bailey plans to start a blog this year as a way to share nutrition research and the detrimental impacts of dieting. Hi, Bailey. Hi, Claire. Thank you so much for having me on today's episode. I'm so excited. Thanks for joining us today. We're super excited to have you. So you work for the Anna Weston House. Can you tell us a bit about what you do there? Yeah. So my role as a dietitian is really kind of all over the board, but my main focus at that level of care is to help clients who admit to us kind of get back on a more normalized eating pattern, figure out a way that works for them to meet their body's needs, and offer all sorts of nutrition education. And how long have you been there? I actually just celebrated my one-year anniversary a few days ago. Congrats. Thank you so much. Um, and prior to that, I was actually a dietetic intern paired okay. with the Emily program, so I did have a little bit of experience prior to entering my role. Great. And can you tell us a bit about the blog you want to start? Yeah. So. I feel a little bit stuck, I'm going to be quite (laughs) honest, Um, but I have all of these ideas that I want to put on paper. I'm just not the best writer, so I'm working on some drafts. I need to come up with a blog name, but essentially kind of what you touched on is my goal is to continue to educate on the detrimental impacts of dieting and continue to provide, in general, nutrition information to the public. Great. We look forward to seeing that. I'm sure a lot of other people will, too. Yes. Let's kick off this podcast by talking about what nutrition is. Can you give us a definition of nutrition? Absolutely, Claire. So I'm going to start out by saying that there are a plethora of definitions regarding nutrition. Even when I just Googled nutrition, I mean, search engine popped up so many different results. So when we think of a dictionary definition of nutrition, you're going to find something along the lines of the actor process of nourishing or being nourished. When you think of the World Health Organization, on the other hand, they define nutrition as the intake of food considered in relation to the body's dietary needs. The last piece is the one that I really like to hone in on, the part around in relation to the body's dietary needs, which demonstrates the importance of eating in such a way that is individual to you and your body's needs, not just some information you can find online. So you would say nutrition is person-specific? Absolutely. Okay, and how does that factor into eating disorder treatment? Well, whenever anybody comes into my level of care, we're looking at individualized meal plans and finding meal patterns that work for people outside of our level of care. So a common example we get is folks that want to remain vegetarian in recovery. Mm -hmm. Is that something we can help with or do we not encourage that? Yeah, absolutely. That's a wonderful question. So the EMILY program actually does a really great job of accommodating vegetarians and vegans throughout their recovery. Our point of view kind of is that If you're planning to follow that eating pattern outside of treatment and into your recovery, it is not our job to convince you that that's not the best route to go, and rather to set you up for success to continue following that eating pattern in your recovery. So on a similar vein, the idea of nutrition also gets confused with healthy eating or healthy meals. What exactly is healthy food? Yeah, absolutely. So many great questions. When I think about nutritious meal, the first aspect of that question, it simply breaks down to a meal containing nutrients, which in my opinion is pretty much every single food that exists on the planet. Um, But healthy, on the other hand, is a completely different category. It has become a buzzword over the last few years, and there is a lot of detrimental impacts of using the word healthy. And truly in my approach, I do not believe in quote healthy or quote unhealthy foods. 
I adopt that all foods fit mentality and that we know that the word healthy carries a lot of other aspects with it. So I don't refute that all, you know, all foods have different nutrient densities. We know that to be true um, when we compare foods and also holding one food as bad or good starts to kind of wear on us as a person. I have so many clients who come in and they're like, oh, I ate this food, I'm so bad now. And food was never designed to be that way, nor, nor should it be. And we have to remember that, quote, health or healthy encompasses so many other areas besides the foods we eat and what we choose to eat. It impacts, you know, physical health, spiritual health, mental health. And if at any point people feel that their dietary patterns are starting to negatively influence these other areas, then that's kind of a red flag. Speaking of words that are loaded with meanings, let's talk about calories. Mm. So calories get a bad rap sometimes, and we hear a lot about the importance of cutting calories to lose weight or the importance of getting enough calories. Can you explain why we need a base level of calories every day, even if we don't do anything? So even if we sleep all day, why do we need to get calories? Yeah, so we have this magical thing in our body called the basal or resting metabolic rate, BMR or RMR for short. Essentially, this is the rate that your body continues, and yes, I I say continues to utilize energy even if we are laying in bed all day. And so you may ask, well, what is my body doing when I'm laying around? And we have to remember that our body's keeping us breathing, our blood pumping, our brain's able to you know, function, store memories, get rid of what it doesn't perceive as, as important, organ functioning. I mean, the list truly goes on. And I always like to give the example to my clients around smartphones. I don't know a single smartphone that doesn't require a charge, and I'm open to people bringing me ones that do, but I I doubt that will happen. And the same goes for your body. Your body is going to continue needing charges, even if it's sitting and idle, and there should be no guilt or shame associated with, you know, the duration or frequency of the charges that your body needs. And talk about carbs. What's the deal with carbs? You know, Claire, I honestly feel like I'm still trying to figure that one out, (laughs) but... Carbs have also gotten a bad rap recently, and I think it's just one on the list of the many macronutrients that diet culture tends to put on the the cutting block. We've seen protein go, we've seen fat go, we've seen it come back again, and right now we're cycling back to carbs. And it's really unfortunate because, I mean, our body runs on carbohydrates. It runs on glucose, which is the byproduct of the breakdown, and taking that out means that we are depriving our body of its main fuel source, which can be very detrimental to our overall well-being, functioning. I mean, the list truly goes on with that one. You mentioned macronutrients. What are those and what are micronutrients? Great question. So this could be a whole nother podcast too, but I'll try and keep it brief and to the point. Um, But I want to shoot out a little disclaimer that I do not pretend to know every single listener's macro or micronutrient needs at the time of this podcast. So if anyone has any questions or concerns on whether they are meeting their body's dietary needs, I always encourage people to reach out to their medical provider or registered dietitian. Um, But we will transition into macronutrients. So the three macronutrients include carbohydrates, proteins, and fats. And the name in and of itself says macronutrient, meaning coming in a larger quantity. And so when we do see diet culture slip in and sort of try and take some of those away, they somehow become micronutrients, which was never their intention. But we'll see, yeah, carbs, proteins, fats. So I'll briefly touch on 
a little bit of the functioning of them, not to get too in-depth, and then a few sources that people can find them in. So first we have carbohydrates, which is the one we just talked about being demonized. This is, like I mentioned, the body's main fuel source from glucose. And when we have excessive glucose, our body does a great job of storing it for a time where we might not have it again. That's what we call glycogen. And then can't forget about dietary fiber, making sure that we stay regular and have a healthy bowel. Commonly find these in grains, vegetables, fruits, rice, pasta, cereal, oatmeal, etc. I know I missed many, but that's a good overall look at that. And then protein is what I kind of like to call Lego pieces or the building blocks. Um, so they break down into amino acids. They help with growth, repair, hormone production, and cellular processes. And some common sources that we'll find these in are, you know, meat, fish, and poultry for those who are able to consume those, eggs, cheese, dairy. And for those who are vegetarian or vegan, commonly find some protein in plants legumes, vegetables, nuts and seeds, and some grains. And that piece, which you already touched on, which was the piece about vegetarianism, and that we have to be very intentional in residential around helping those uh, who are following that dietary pattern learn how to pair those so that they're still able to meet their body's needs. And then last but very not least is the fat. First things first, protection. We all need fat on our bodies. That's a common complaint that I get is, well, I don't need this much fat. And absolutely, you do need fat on your body. And aside from protection, it's essential for supplying the body with fatty acids. Um, and beyond that too, when we think about how foods taste, they taste so much better when they have fat on them. So fat also holds a very important role, especially with absorption of nutrients. And I know we'll get a little bit more into that in the next part of this. So transitioning then into micronutrients, again, quite lengthy list around it, so I'll try my best to keep it brief, but we have vitamins and minerals, and start with the water-soluble vitamins, which exactly as they sound, they are able to be dissolved in water and thus cannot be stored in our body, which means that whatever comes in excess comes right out. So that's something helpful to keep in mind. And we find those in the B vitamins and in vitamin C. And that, that ranges from energy production, red blood cells, health, and so much more. And then the second category will be our fat-soluble vitamins. Exactly as that one sounds too, these cannot be dissolved in water, and they actually require fat to be utilized, which I think is a very common misconception around it. So I get the example of, well, Bailey, look at this amazing salad I have. And I'm like, oh, that's awesome. You know, looks like you have a lot of great components in there. And then they tell me they have low fat or no fat dressing. And that's also a great, you know, educational piece to say a lot of the micronutrients that you're consuming in this meal are actually not being absorbed because we're not using a full fat dressing. So I always like to give people a little bit on that. Um, and yeah, the A, D, E, and K, or the fat soluble vitamins, also range between vision and organ functioning. D helps us with calcium absorption and bone strength. We think about sunlight and how we miss a lot of that here in Minnesota, unfortunately. Um, and then some of the minerals, on the other hand, I'll briefly list those out. So we have calcium, phosphorus, sodium, and a few others. Variety of sources, again, which is really the theme here, is that all of these important macro and micronutrients come in a variety of food sources. So we can see how cutting out any of these areas can actually have detrimental impacts. 
With vitamins, right now it's all the rage to see vitamins that are personalized for us or stuff that we can order online or we must be missing vitamin C or vitamin D or whatever. How do we know for ourselves what vitamins we need or what we could be missing or if we should be taking supplements? When I think about vitamin and mineral supplementation, I always encourage people, again, if they have any questions, to reach out to a professional who knows more about your individual history, medical history, uh, current dietary intake. I've never personally taken one of those online quizzes, but I have seen it circulating a lot, and it does raise some red flags for me, simply because no quiz online would be able to accurately understand exactly what we're eating in a day and what our body's needs are. And also, going off of that, like we just talked about, I mean, if you're getting a well-balanced diet, you should be meeting a lot of the macro and micronutrient needs. And if not, your body's going to ask for different things. So your body is way, way smart. Can you do blood tests to figure out what your vitamin levels are? Yes, you actually can. And we do that actually a lot at a residential level of care. Uh, fortunately, our medical doctors are so well-versed in eating disorders, and they can always pop over some results to us and encourage us to help our clients in the dining room to find some specific foods that will help. So speaking of residential, how do we meal plan for clients? So. When I think about meal plans at the residential level of care, they're extremely rigid right off the bat, which sounds fairly counterintuitive to the rigidity that we know an eating disorder can hold for our clients. And so I always kind of put that out there so people are aware and also knowing that that transitions when they're with us. Uh, we want people to be making decisions that will meet their needs and not what their eating disorder hopes that their needs look like. And so when we think about an eating disorder meal plan, I think of fatigue, isolation, low energy, an inability to be able to participate in the client's you know, dreams, wishes, everything that they want to do in their life. And then when I think about a meal plan, I think about a dietitian. I always like to throw that out there. That should always come from a dietitian or someone who is familiar with your medical history and what your body's needs are. So that's kind of where that wary comes in from wellness experts online who give the same meal plan to every single person that signs up for their program. There is absolutely nothing that's individualized about that. So, I mean, at Anna Weston House, we do our best to keep things very, very individualized to the client. Excuse me. Do we meal plan differently for those with restrictive eating disorders and then those with um, binging disorders or binge purging disorders? Are they all the same? Do we try and focus on similar things or are they just totally separate? Yeah, so it really depends. And I wish there was a blanket answer, but every time I get a new admit coming my way and I'm looking up on their symptom use, their 24-hour recall, um, pieces like that, that really influences my decision. So I'd like to say that Looking at symptom use is certainly one area of it, but I never want people to feel deprived when they come in if they do suffer with binge eating. And I also don't want people to be extremely overwhelmed when they come in following a restrictive meal plan. And also the end goal is to meet a client's needs. And so sometimes that means meeting them where they're at. So meal plans, are they just for when folks are in residential or do they continue after folks are outpatient clients or once they pass that and they're just on their own? Yeah, so meal plans should follow clients outside of the residential level of care. Um, the goal is really that they're continuing to get that support through all levels of our care, so transitioning from residential to IDP, IOP to outpatient. And hopefully, towards the end of outpatient, we can transition into people you know, a little bit further away from a meal plan with still some accountability. 
the ultimate goal is that people in their recovery are able to practice intuitive eating or simply listening to their body's needs and knowing just what they need. But the goal, yes, is that they continue to follow their meal plan, knowing that things might change throughout different levels of care. So if there's someone that's not a patient at the EMILY program, but is realizing that how they're eating now is not healthy, and they do come to the EMILY program, they get a meal plan, they successfully follow it in treatment, and then they're on their own now. What happens if they relapse into eating disorder behaviors or if they stop following their meal plan? What's the process of getting back to recovery? I always think that if you find yourself falling back into disordered patterns of eating or symptom use, it never hurts to reach back out to the EMILY program and have them reassess if the level of care is appropriate. It never hurts to step back out if you're an outpatient back to IDP or IOP, or if you're having a hard time staying accountable in IDP, to step back up to residential. There's absolutely no shame. We welcome people with arms wide open back into the program, knowing that Usually recovery is not a one and done. It takes a lot of hard work and grit, which is why the people I work with are some of the toughest individuals that I have ever met in my life. But one piece of advice that I always kind of hold for that is it's okay to fall off the wagon as long as we are willing to come back on the wagon. Yeah, I love that. That's really great. Why do people have different body shapes even if they eat the same thing? So for example, if we ate the same diet for a whole year and didn't veer from that at all and did similar levels of exercise, we would still look different. Why is that? Yeah, so body diversity is a very real thing for a very great reason, and a huge aspect of that is going to be genetics. Yes, as Claire mentioned, if we ate the same thing, worked out the same, we would still have different bodies, and that's because we are equipped to look different ways. And my mom's heritage and everyone else's mom and dad's heritage are going to look different. And I was I saw this one quote and I loved it and it was that size diversity is just the same as height diversity. We don't shame people for being over six foot just as we shouldn't shame people for being in different body sizes. And so yeah, we're gonna see a lot of variation outside of just what we eat and exercise, which just goes to show that it is not simply just about the food. Can you talk about diet culture for us? Oh man, yes I can. I have a lot of strong opinions, so I'm gonna try and stay focused on this one. But diet culture has, I mean, it has been around for as long as we can all remember. It just tends to show up in different ways. And I think right now, diet culture is really showing up as healthy, clean, and I know no one can see me quoting in the air right now, um, but there is no such thing as healthy or clean. Um, We're not just out here eating dirty foods. Um, And so, I think we always see this influx of how diet culture shows up. And also, a really helpful question that I like to ask my clients in particular is, would you still still continue to choose eating this way if you knew it would not shrink your body? Because that can give people a lot of good insight around why are they choosing to do what they're doing. And if it is, in fact, because they're hoping that their body changes, we know that diet culture has won that battle. And so... Giving up diet culture is not a failure. It's actually kind of moving on from that part of our lives, which nobody is exempt to. We see it everywhere we look. And also, there is a life without diets. What's one piece of advice you would give someone considering entering treatment? Ooh. I would definitely say be patient with yourself because unlearning diet culture and weight stigma will be one of the most challenging things that you ever do. 
and know that when you come into the Emily program, you are entering the arms of a lot of people who care very passionately that diets don't work. Weight stigma actually has far greater negative health outcomes than existing in a larger body. And so shifting your mentality will be really hard and it's also possible. And that's where the Emily program is really here to help with that. What's the best part about your job right now? Oh man, the best part has to be client relationships. So getting to know people at the residential level of care. I mean, I work where they live, which is truly an honor to be able to be such a large role in their recovery, even though I hope I'm just a blip on the whole grand, grand scheme of things. Um, but yeah, getting to know clients beyond their eating disorder and also getting to take that information and utilize it in their recovery. When they talk to me about their dreams, their hopes, their aspirations, when they're having a really tough meal, being able to remind them, remember what you told me just last week about all these things you want to achieve? It means right now we have to do something that gets us one step closer to that. That's great advice. Is there anything else you would like to say before we wrap up this episode? I think the only last piece that I have is to remind people to trust that your body knows what to do. We have commonly come to demonize and suggest that our body is the enemy when in fact our body is the longest standing relationship that we will ever have in our life and all it wants to do is to keep you alive. And so when we find ourselves in the restrictive binge eating cycle, know that you are not a failure, you are not out of control, in fact your body is just working so, so hard to keep up with you. So. Trust that your body knows what to do. Great advice to end on. Thank you so much for joining us, Bailey. Thank you so much for having me. It was truly a pleasure to be here today. If you enjoy listening to Piecemeal, please rate, review, or subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. You can learn more about us at the Emily Program at emilyprogram.com, or you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, all at Emily Program. Piecemeal is a podcast hosted and edited by myself, Claire Holtz, with production help from Nancy Linden. Our music is by Dan Forkey, and our lovely guests come from all over the Emily program or folks in recovery. If you're interested in being featured on the podcast or would love to share your recovery story, you can email us at podcast at As always, thanks for listening. <laughs>